No, it's cool. Okay, you guys ready for the word? Cool, if you have your Bibles, then I want to turn to Psalm 84. Or turn to it on your phone. You are turning it to on your phone, aren't you, Tony? You're not texting. Cool. <laughs> Thought I'd just check on you. I'll pray and then we'll begin, shall I? Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you so much for, for, for truth. And Lord, I thank you that for purpose and destiny. And Lord, I thank you that you've called us not to just be fans, but you've called us to be followers. And so today, God, as we come together as a family, I want to hear what your spirit is saying. And Father, I pray that each one of us will hear personally a word from you. Amen. Okay, Psalm 84. This is a psalm of David. It's how blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca. Baca means uh, mourning, weeping, sadness. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Cool little bit of scripture, isn't it? Let me read it to you from the Message Bible, which so often just brings some other stuff out. How blessed are those who, of those in whom you live, whose lives become roads you travel. They wind through lonesome valleys. They come upon brooks, discover cool springs and pools, brimming with rain. God travelled these roads, curve up the mountain, and at the last turn, Zion. God in full view. Isn't that cool? You know, so often when we think about life, we think about it in terms of ages and stages. And I mean, once every year, you know, we, we, have this, we, we celebrate our birthday. It's, a, it's another stage, a good news or bad news, depending on how you view birthdays and how they come up very rapidly. But, you know, we have this, this um, place a year gone by and another one's coming up. And there, very often we actually attach maturity and uh, our development of a person to the age of that person. But you know, it's not like that in the spirit. In the spirit, it doesn't matter how old you are in the natural, it matters how much time you've spent with God, how much you're journeying with God. And in the scripture here, in Psalm 84, it it talks about a road. It's talking about really life as as that journey. And, and I really like that because when I, when I talk to people, I can ask them, well, how are you doing on the journey? How, how's your journey going right now? See, I believe that every single one of us is on a journey. Every one of you, you're on a journey. And, and as I said last week, our journey actually begins before we were born. Because even before you actually started your own journey, you were a thought, you were an idea in the very heart and mind of God. And that's really when your journey started. And then after you were born on this earth, you, you, you lived your life, and, it's, it's, and, and often it's not made, we see it as being ages and stages, but it's not made up of ages and stages. It's made up of millstones and movement. You see, as you move through life, it's not really about location and vocation. It's really about the development of who you are. The Bible there in that scripture that we just read says that we wind through, through lonesome valleys. You know, life isn't always peachy. Life isn't always peachy. You're going to go. You are going to go through rough times. 
I'm not a prophet of doom, it's just the reality of life. We all have difficult times. We go through hard times, it's a matter of fact. There are some lonesome times, what the scripture calls the valley of Baca, where there are times of mourning and, and, and sorrow and weeping. But then we, we, we learn in those tough times to discover cool springs and refreshing rains, it says. You discover, hey, hey, I, I, I don't need to stay in this valley filled with weeping. I can, I personally, out of me, because rivers of living water are in me, I can cause springs to come forward. Because you see, we're not journeying alone. You're journeying with someone who is dependable and trustworthy, and of course, that's God. The tendency for us to believe sometimes is that we, we, we're traveling on this journey called life. It's so much of it, we do it alone. And the reality is we're not. We're never doing it alone. In fact, I believe that the God journeys with every human being, whether they choose to acknowledge his existence or not. He's doing things. He's putting things together on this journey that we're on. And the Bible continues on. It says, God traveled these roads, curve up the mountain, and at the last turn, Zion, God in full view. You know, so the Bible paints this beautiful picture that, that on life's journeys, we, we go up, we go down through valleys, we go up on peaks, we, we go through life, and at the very end of it, we're up on this peak, and we look down, and we can finally see how God has actually been involved in every part of our life. His handprint has been on our life. We look and we fully behold God. And, and many of us come to realize that God has been on this journey with me all along. So really, we have two questions that we need to ask of ourselves. One is, where am I going? And the second one is, how am I doing? See, every single one of us has a destiny. Every single one of us has a destination. Every single one of us in this room has a call to go somewhere. Now, when we say that, sometimes people think in terms of goal setting and, and vision casting and planning and that six months I want to be here and in five years I want to be here and, and, and all this sort of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's actually good to plan for your future. But let me say this to you, the simple thing. Take God into that equation. See, there, there, there are paths that often can seem right to us, but then there are also God's paths. And sometimes God's paths allow us to walk through some things that are pretty hard. And in fact, we can almost lose ourselves. You start off doing something, you think, man, this is good. You started and, and there's some immediate results and you think, this is really great. And then all of a sudden, things just seem to go wrong. And it's like you almost go off the main road onto a, a rocky road and you begin to think, what on earth is going on with me? And, and, and what's wrong? And, and where have I missed out God's calling? And how have I sinned? And, and there's all these things going on. And we suddenly find ourselves saying, where am I? You know, we've got to understand that everything can be used for the glory of God and what he does with us. You know, at the beginning of time, God created humanity. He created man with a purpose. And the success of their purpose, reaching our purpose, is contingent that we stay in connection with God on the journey. The Bible continues to tell us that we ha he has plans for us. 
Jeremiah 29, verse 11, which is probably one of the most famous. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And you know, that is a word for every single person in this room this morning. Whatever your situation is, wherever you are in life, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. That's a personal, you can take that as a personal promise today. And you can live with the conviction, the personal conviction, even right now if you feel that you're in a valley of bucker, of weeping and of mourning and of hardship, that you are going to a better place. Let me tell you, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So often when you have people talking like this about destiny and purpose, I mean, the question is, well, that's all good and well, but tell me, tell me, God, tell me, pastor, what is my purpose? What is my destiny? What, what, you know, I'm doing a whole bunch of things, but I want to make sure I do the right thing. And often we ask this, you know, I think more from a point of view of, of a sufficient perspective. In other words, I want to find out what a rock star I'm going to be that God's going to do in my life, rather than a sacrificial perspective, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me? How much pain is involved? How much blood, sweat, and tears do I need to sow into the destiny that is coming to pass? Because you know there is blood, sweat, and tears in destiny. We so often think that because God has given us a word of promise that that it's just all going to be rosy. You know, as I said before, peachy keen. And it just doesn't work out like that. There is a sacrifice in walking through the path, but there's always that fact that God is with us. You know, see, because life is not an open field where everything is going to go. We have an enemy. We have a kingdom that is opposed to us. An entire kingdom of darkness is working against you, trying to prevent you from reaching your destiny. But God is on the journey with you. And he says, listen, I am going to walk with you. I'm going to lead you on this journey. And, and sometimes, you know, we don't know what the finish line looks like. God intentionally does not tell us so often what the finish line looks like. He may tell us about where we're going to go to the next way station, that we may go from here to here, but he, he so often won't tell us where the finish line is. Why? Because we try to make our own plans to get to that finish line. We try to move there without God being a part of the equation. And so he doesn't give us that full revelation. So we stay dependent on him. You see, and really, you know, the joy of, of life is not the destination. We so often think that in the natural, you know, well, man, when I get to retirement, I'm sitting there on the porch, you know, and just, you know, smoking the cigar or whatever you're doing, I've arrived, you know. Not advocating smoking, don't want emails, you know. But you know what I'm saying? We kind of think that's the whole, it's not. The joy is actually in the journey. Both in the physical and in the spiritual, the joy is in the journey. It's all about the journey. And I think one of the greatest examples of this is in the Bible, is where God actually peels back and gives us, shows us the story of one man, his whole life from when he was a young boy right through from when he began as a shepherd boy till he became king. We see how God peeled back and how his journey, God was with him throughout the journey. And it's so important to see and understand that. You know, David, probably one of the most popular characters in the Bible, 
starts out as a shepherd boy and ends up as a king. Now, he was one of eight brothers. He was one of eight brothers. And God says at this stage, he comes to his prophet and he says, I'm about to appoint a new king. And he says to Samuel, Samuel, I wanted you to go to this, this man's house called Jesse. And I'm going to choose one of these king, one of his sons as king. Now, as I said already, there was a, a king in, in the land. His name was Saul. You know, it was always God's plan to have a king in Israel. Originally, he wanted to be the king. He was going to be the king of the people of Israel. But, God, uh, but the people came and they said, no, no, no. We don't want you to be king. We want a king like every, every other, uh, all the nations around us have a king. And God said, you sure? He said, yep, we want one just like them. So God said, okay. And he gave them a king just like those around them. And his name was Saul. And it says of Saul in 1 Samuel 9 that he stood head and shoulders above all of those in the land of Israel. And when you see that heads and shoulders, it speaks of man's wisdom and man's strength. And so Saul was appointed and he was exactly like those kings around him. He was a man who began... Well, but ended poorly in terms of beginning to bring so much bad stuff into the nation. And so God said, enough, I'm going to have a new king. And so David is born and he lived a life of worship. His, his primary value was one of running after God's heart. And that moved God so much. He said, I like this boy. I'm going to make him my king. And so he sends Samuel and Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and he's there and he, he He's been told that he's going to appoint one of the sons. And so he says this to Jesse. He lines up all the sons, and he's got, there's seven of them there. And the first one is Eliab. And this Eliab's a, you know, buff kind of looking dude and handsome and the whole works. And Samuel says, that, that must be him. He must be the guy. And God says, nope, that's not him. Not him. And the prophet said, you're kidding me. No. He said, you know, I, I, you look on the exterior but God said to him, I look at the heart, and that's not the guy. And so Jesse goes down the line, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, God, we're getting close to the end here, number seven, it ain't him. Samuel, what do I do now? He turns to Jesse, he says, you got any more of these guys laying around the place? And Jesse sort of says, well, yeah, I've got David. He's out the back looking after sheep. You really want to look at him? Samuel said, yeah, better bring him on out. So David comes out, and as he walks out, God says, that's him. That's him. Comes out, he's smelling of sheep. He's kind of, you know, what do you want, Dad? <laughs> comes out, and Samuel pulls the oil over him and says, you're the one. You're going to be the king of Israel. Can you imagine what that would have been like for a 15-year-old boy? That's what he was. 15 years old, and he's told he's going to be the king of Israel. And doesn't become king for well over another decade. The Bible then goes on, and David's musical skill became known. And so the king Saul is now is degenerating more and more, and he's become quite demonized, and he's causing all sorts of problems. And one of his, his um, courtiers says, you know, you, what about music? Maybe if someone comes and plays you some music, that'll soften your soul. And so Samuel, uh, uh, Saul says, okay, we'll bring someone in. And so they bring David in, and David comes, and he begins to play. And every time David plays, he plays such beautiful worship, the demons flee, and peace comes upon 
Saul and upon the kingdom. And, and Saul is so moved by this young man. He says, I like this guy, and he makes him his armor bearer. But he also has a tendency to throw spears at, Saul, at David as well. So it's kind of a bit of a love-hate relationship. But there he is. And so Saul, has, David's become a big hit with Saul, and Saul makes him his armor bearer. You know, again, this, this kid, one minute he's in the backyard looking after sheep. Next minute he's sitting in the, king, the king's presence having this profound influence, just this amazing growth, working at the highest level. And he continues to grow up. And the Bible tells us another story, maybe one of the best, one best known stories of David's life, that battle between David and Goliath. You know, the nation is at war with, with the Philistines and throughout the Old Testament. Again and again, the Philistines were, were the enemy of Israel. And they line up in this valley, and on either side of the valley is big hills, and they're in the middle, and they line up, and each day they would come out. And the battle would always begin with a little bit of taunting and, you know, you know, and all sorts of things being thrown back and forward before they engaged. But this battle was markedly different because the Philistines had an, a, a weapon called Goliath. And Goliath was in excess of nine feet tall. And he would come out and he would mock the people of Israel. And I want to read a fair bit of scripture this morning about that, or I'm just going to go through. And it's tell the story of David. And then afterwards, I want to pick up on eight things that I believe David showed that allows us to journey on our lives successfully out of the story. So if you, if you want to, if you've got your Bible, it's 1 Samuel 17. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was taking them out, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. And um, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. So he was so intimidating that some of these guys would even take off and go and hide back in their tents. And they said, have you seen this giant? He comes out each day and defies Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the entire man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistines and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is a reward for killing him. So David just wanted to make sure, I'm getting this right, I'm going to get a no tax and I'm going to get a woman out of this. This is a good deal. <laughs> but when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. He's intent, I'll give you that. Then David's question was reported to Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. 
I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And he said, and when a lion and a bear, and listen to this, when a lion and a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears and I can do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally considered and said, All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail, whatever that is. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. I can't go on these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his shepherd's bag. Then he armed only with his shepherd's staff and his sling. He started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. I am, a, am I a dog, he roared at David, that you would come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the, the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut, you, cut your head off. Can you just imagine, the, you get the picture here? Is a 17-year-old boy confronting a nine-foot giant who's a battled, experienced killing machine. And he's holding a stick, and he's, about, and he's saying, I'm going to cut your head off with this. <laughs> you know? Uh, excuse me, David, cutting heads off does not work well with sticks. You know, you need something a bit sharper goes on and then I'll give you the dead bodies of you, oh, then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear this is the Lord's battle and he will give you he will give you to us as Goliath moved closer to attack David ran quickly out to meet him reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it and with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, Goliath stumbled and fell face down in the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Isn't that a great story? I love it, eh? You know, it's so easy for us who are used to the Bible just to ignore the, the wonder, the sense of what was happening there. You know, I mean, here's David. He's going out. He's going out to stand for what he believes in. He's going into this battle. You know, many of us, when we're in the midst of battle, we often think we've gone off track. We think that we, we've, we've, gone out of, uh, we've, we've gone off track of our destiny. We think, oh man, I must have failed because there's, you know, there's, surely there's no way that God would have put this bad stuff in front of me for my promotion. But listen, you know, if, if you think that, you don't understand the way of God. 
God uses our mountaintop experiences, but he also uses our valley experiences. He uses our good days and he uses our bad days. He uses our victories and he uses our failures. He uses everything. And if you hold on to him in the midst of all that is happening, he will make sure that you reach your destiny. And so here are eight things that I want to point out that David, how David walked the journey of his life this morning. I'm going to go through them really quickly. So point number one, David lived the life of service. Notice that, you know, that when David, even at the point that David was called to be king, he was out in the backyard looking after his father's sheep, someone else's sheep. And we know that, you know, see, the problem is that for many of us, when we find out what God's destiny is for our life, we refuse to, to uh, be of service to anyone else. Because we think that, that we, we've got to be serving our own destiny. Many of us think that, hey, hey, listen, God has called me to be successful in this thing. Why would I spend my time serving in this area of life? And we really begin to miss what God has for us. See, David continued to serve in his father's house. He was con- con- continued to be willing to look after the sheep, even though they weren't his own. And because of that place, he positioned himself to grow in the things of God. You know, David, God saw this man and saw that if, Mo, that if David could look after sheep and serve in that place, that he was a person that was safe to look after his people. Remember Moses. Moses was exactly the same. What was he doing when God came to him? He was looking after the sheep. He was doing something while he, was, while he received his calling. He was doing something before he walked over to the burning bush, and that was serving someone else's sheep, looking after them. You know, exercise, to, um, how do I put this? Service is to the soul what exercise is to the human body. When, when you're willing to take up and willing to serve someone else's vision, when you not even have your own, God will call you even more to your own. Yeah, and unfortunately, so many of us sit around with our hands in our pockets until we receive that prophetic word, until, we receive, until we're sure what God has called us to, and, and we say, I'm just going to wait. I've just got to wait to what the Lord says. When God speaks, I'll know what I'm doing. But I want to tell you this morning, if you are un, even if, if you are unsure what your calling is, then serve. Position yourself in a place of service. And as you do, do so, I promise you, you will get that word that God is what God's calling you to. And even if you do have a word of destiny, serve out. Serve it out. Because that's how you get prepared for service. You know, we, I received a prophetic word that I was going to be a, a pastor in a church, and it was 14 years from the time of that word until I stepped into it. But every inch of the way, we always position ourselves to make sure those who are around us were always blessed, and not in a position that it would be about what we could get and what we could do, but it was always about what that person could be blessed. And, you know, that's so important that we learn to do that, to live in that place of being, of being a servant, the second point is David stayed humble. I'm not, is that stayed spelt right? It, cool, because I wasn't too sure. <laughs> so David stayed humble. Didn't look right to me. Spelling check said it was okay. 
See, problem is you get promoted. David got promoted. And, and well, no, it's not a problem. And what he did is he still positioned himself to look after the sheep. Because even though he was working for Saul, even though he was in the palace, even though he's an armor bearer, he still went home and said, here I am, Dad. What do I need? Do they, have the sheep been fed? He stayed humble. He stayed humble. Sometimes, you know, we, 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 we've, we've been used to doing things, whether it's service, whether it's generosity, whatever it is, we've used our talents in the past. We've done things behind closed doors or, or even in the church, which had nothing to do with our calling. But we've let those things drop. And I want to encourage you, pick them up again. Pick them up again. And you'll receive a blessing in your life. You know, I want you to know something, that the greatest in the kingdom has to be a servant. Jesus said that. God has called you to make an investment in the kingdom. And I really want to encourage you that you grow in the thing of kingdoms by serving other people. Jesus, at the end of his life, said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And if you make your life about serving other people for their benefit, then God will elevate you. God will take care of you. We see this in David's life, how he started caring for the father's sheep. And even though he's working for the king, even though he could have said, listen, that's not for me anymore, Dad, sorry, I've been promoted. He stayed consistent. He stayed humble. The third thing about David is that David had a different perspective. You see, the people of Israel would show up every day and Goliath would say, yeah, you're nothing better than servants of Saul. You, you know, you... You're just a hopeless bunch. And he defied the army of Israel every day. And the army of Israel, the people would believe it. But David didn't. David said, we are not just that. We are servants of God. And we are the army of the living God on earth. And because he had a different perspective on who he was and the covenant that he had, he looked at the size of the giant and he just said, the bigger they are, the harder they're going to fall. He had a different perspective. You see, these men every day for 40 days had come out and they'd allowed this man to say, you're nothing, you're a failure, you're never gonna do any good. Then David stepped on the field with an elevated perspective. And because he had that elevated perspective, all of heaven was behind one little pebble that was launched at the enemy. God would have said, look, flick a toothpick at him and I'll kill him for you. It all comes out of having the right perspective. Point number four, David relied on God's spirit. He didn't rely on human strength. You know, he says to Saul, well, I'm going to fight the giant. And Saul says, okay then, well, you better have my armor. So he puts a, his armor on him and puts it all up. How does it feel, David? And David's kind of, uh, 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 it ain't going to work for me, Saul. And he takes it off. He takes it off. He says, I'm just going to go out like this. What, in a TJ and T-shirt and some shorts? Hey, man, that's what I wear. I need the freedom to move. You know, but you're going to be vulnerable to attack. You're going to have nothing to shield you. How are you going to do it? Because I have God on my side. And then not only that, he did something really strange. He went over to the stream. He bent down and he got five stones. 
You know, whenever you see streams in the Bible, the stones were, they'd been smoothed by the stream. Whenever you see streams in the Bible, it speaks, it so often speaks of being symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It talks about being supply and and benefit and, and boundiness. You know, you see it in the Bible where, where you see streams quenching the thirst of prophets like Elijah, how God miraculously feeds the entire nation by causing water to come out of the stone. In a dry and weary land, God says, listen, I will send my streams into the desert. In fact, David even says, he says, my soul thirsts after God like a deer thirsts after living water. Streams speak of the symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And David goes to the stream gets on his knees because he needs to rely on God's spirit more than man's strength. And he says, okay, I'm gonna t- I'll take five because it's only by your grace that I'm able to do what I'm about to do. So I'll take five. And he puts them in the shepherd bag. By the way, you know why I believe he took five stones? Because it says that Goliath had four brothers. And I think he was just going to think, if these guys are going to come, I'm just going to be like a shooting gallery. I'll just pop one after the other. He was really that confident in God. Now, the next thing I want you to know about David is he fed on God's faithfulness. How do I know that? Because of the shepherd's staff. Because of the shepherd's staff. You know, it relates a story about him killing lions and bears. It wasn't about killing lions and bears. The story's not about that. It's about God's faithfulness. You see, David knew that God was going to be faithful because he relates a story. He says, that, listen, when I went after a, a lion, even if the lion had the lamb in his mouth, I just put my ma- hand in his mouth and I just rip it straight back out because I knew God's faithfulness. He wasn't going to let me get hurt. And this staff, and I'm holding right here, David said, that reminds me of God's faithfulness. Because you see, I want you to understand about what a, what, a, what a shepherd's staff meant. There's something so powerful about it. God has, has spoken of the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were all shepherds. They all had shepherd's staff. It says, in fact, David, uh, Jacob sorry, died leaning on his staff. Moses was a staff. Uh, Moses was a shepherd. He had a staff. When he reached the Red Sea, remember, God said, lift up your staff. And the sea was split. So what is it about a staff? In Hebrew culture, in Hebrew culture, what they would do, and I found out this years ago, what they would do is that any time something did, uh, sorry, any time that God did something in your family, you would get out a sharp object and you'd put a mark on the staff to remind you of his faithfulness. And very, honest, honor, uh, very often if you had a lineage of shepherds, the father would say to the son, here, take my staff when you go. Psalm 23, David says, God, your rod and your staff comfort me. You see, the staff always speaks of the testimony of what God has done in your life. And so to David, that wasn't a random stick that he carried, but it was a declaration. It was a declaration of the faithfulness of God. And so when Goliath said, why do you come at me with a stick? David said, no, no. You don't understand. This is not a stick. I'm going to cut your head off because of what it represented. In the natural, it's impossible. But watch and see. Because I, it's a story of God moving in my life. So David fed on God's faithfulness. 
And I want to say this morning that if you're going through tough times, if you find yourself maybe just letting go a little bit of the faith that you've had in God because things just don't seem to be quite working out for you, that you seem to just that his provision doesn't seem to quite be there, I want to encourage you this morning to look back, to take your staff in a sense, and look back at the number of times that a God has come through for you. In fact, why don't you ask God? Say, God, let me show me. Remind me of the times when your goodness has supplied so much into my life. And begin to feed on God's faithfulness. Let it begin to strengthen you. And the Bible says you'll go from strength to strength. Number six, God, David knew God was with him. You know, there's two ways to go through anything in life. One is to go through believing that you're going to take the battle on by yourself. Or the other one is to go through confident that the battle is the Lord's. You see, it was impossible with a couple of stones and a sling to take out Goliath. But for God, all things are possible. And his battle was the, ba- it was the Lord's battle. The battle that God was going to win. He's the one that's going to take you out, Goliath. David didn't even have a sword. He didn't need a sword because he had God. And see, if you approach everything in life, you need to have God as part of the equation. If you approach anything in life and you don't have God as part of the equation, it's a problem, folks. It really is. Because you're not acknowledging God who is already there with you. See, it's not a question of trying to get God there with you. He is there. He is here with you. It's whether you turn to him and depend upon him to save the problem, to solve the problem. See, in the heat of the moment, are you going to draw from his grace? This is why I talk about it being so important that we build a history with God. Build your bank account full of God when things are good. Too many of us just go through life very, you know, la-di-da, and then something hits us and we try to grab something from God. And we haven't got a bank account full of faithfulness and of mercy and of his goodness that you draw upon. It's in the good times that we take hold of it and we build something with God. We build that secret history with God. We just have times with him. And then when the bad times hit, we have this reservoir of just knowing who he is, of his faithfulness that we just draw upon to bring in the focus. Because you're not alone. God is able to make the valley of weeping into the springs of refreshing if you know that God is on the journey with you. Number seven, God moved courageously. He moved, uh, sorry, well, he did, but so did David. <laughs> David moved courageously. Notice what Goliath said. What am I, a dog? That you come with me at a stick? Come on. Man, I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna feed your flesh to the birds. And David said, you come with me at a, with a sword and a javelin, all armored up. So they're taunting each other here. 
And then it says that, David, that Goliath took a couple of steps towards David, but David ran at Goliath. He ran at Goliath. Listen, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? I'll tell you, a whole lot of people can be against us. The reality is, the question is not who can be against us, but who can be against God? Because no one can. So the sentence should really be, if God is for us, who can be against God? Because he is for us. And therefore, no enemy can overpower him. And therefore, we have the victory because greater is he that is in me than anyone else that is in the world. Because the battle is the Lord's. And you know what? Some of us just need to run at our fears. We just need to run at our fears. We so often give them packages, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Run at them. You might be surprised at what happens because God is on your side. I mean, can you, can you, you know, here's this whole nation standing there. They can't believe it. This little boy runs towards this, this giant. Can you, can you imagine what must have been going on in Goli- Goliath? must have just stopped. Said so he took two steps and then he stopped. I think he was probably just dumbfounded because it had never happened before. This kid is running at him. You know, he would have been, what on earth is this kid doing? And whack, whack. And he suddenly got a revelation right between the eyes. Boom. And he hit the ground. Number eight, David glorified God glorifies God for the victory. You know, David said, I'm going to cut your head off. He's prophesying, he said, I'm going to cut your head off. The enemy looked impossible. Well, let's wait and see. He goes over, he takes Goliath's sword. And the very thing that the enemy would use against you becomes the very thing that takes the enemy out. And he takes off the head of the giant. The whole nation, I mean, what just happened? What just happened? The the whole, it would have just been breathtaking. And here's David now walking back to the camp with the sword behind him. Yep, it happened, told you it would, just dragging it along because he had such confidence in God. He had such confidence in God. And you know, a couple of chapters later, in chapter 21, David is now running from Saul. Saul's become totally insane now. He's out to kill David. He's become absolutely driven by jealousy. And he's out to kill David. And David has nothing. He has no food. He has no supplies. He had no weapons. And as he's running, he comes to this town and he encounters this priest. And he goes to this priest and he says, do you have any weapons? Do you have anything that can help me? And the priest says, I only have one thing. I have the sword, David, of Goliath, the Philistine, that you killed at the Valley of Elah. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. You know what the ephod is? The ephod is the the priestly robes, which that means that when David took that sword, took the head off of Goliath, he took that sword, he came back, and he put it in the temple. He gave his victory to God. 
He said, I worship you, God, with my victory. And you see so many of us, and look, I see this all the time. We gain some type of success in life and we sit on that success because we think we did it. We think, hey, it was my strength. It was my stone. It was my sling. And we make it all about us. I want you to know that we need to learn to live lives that give glory to God. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I was just a kid that threw the stone. It was God. It was God. And so David takes the sword, the symbol of his victory. The sword that he said, this is yours, God, I give it to you. You know what? When we take our victories and we give them to God, God will give them back to us when we need them the most, to draw on them. When you're running for your life, when you, you have no resource, you have no weapon, then God will give you even more back than what you had before. I'm here to tell you this. You're on a journey. God is with you on this journey. That God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And that you might go through some battles. But if you learn from the lessons of David's life, you'll be successful. Because God is trustworthy. He is dependable. And just like what he said for David is the same what he say for us. Because what he did in David's life, he can do it for each one of us. He wants us to live in a life of victory and empowerment, of destiny and purpose. Let's stand, shall we? Can I have the worship team up?